Continuing the message that I started this morning, a mountaintop perspective. I'll not read the entire passage, but remind you that these nine verses, the first nine verses of Matthew 17, that give us the story of the transfiguration of Christ, is the setting for our message and the title of the message being a mountaintop perspective. In verse 1, we do note that after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. They went up into a high mountain. And then in verse 5, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. I will not repeat the part of the message that I did give to you this morning. I will take up where I left off, repeating only that about Moses. When Moses went to the mountaintop in his life, he gained many experiences. We see him here with Jesus and with Elijah, along with Peter, James, and John. But in his lifetime, Moses had mountaintop experiences. He went to Sinai where he received the law and was given the Ten Commandments and all of the Mosaic law. He also went to the mountaintop to view the promised land. And there on Mount Nebo, part of the Pisgah mountain range, on the eastern side of the River Jordan, he was allowed to look over and see all the way to the Mediterranean Sea to the west, to Mount Hermon, the snow-capped Mount Hermon to the north, and all the way down to the tip of the Dead Sea and Beersheba, and down into the desert area of the south. Immediately before him lay the Jordan Valley, and across the River Jordan was the city of Jericho. He died on this mountaintop, and God buried him on Mount Nebo. Now we see him on another mountain with Jesus and with Elijah and with Peter and James and John. He's on the Mount of Transfiguration. He beholds before his eyes what I believe is just a little introduction to resurrection power, a miniature glimpse of what will take place at the resurrection for Jesus was transfigured there on that mountaintop, and he was there to give witness to it. Representing the law from the Old Testament was Moses. Representing the prophets was Elijah. Representing the priesthood was Christ himself. Representing the church was Peter, James, and John. There they were given a glimpse of some of the glory that awaits the saints of God on Resurrection Day. Praise God. It's something to look forward to. So he was there as a witness of the transfiguration. Elijah was another man on this mountain, but he too had had other mountaintop experiences. He went to the top of Mount Carmel, which is further over on the western coast and a little bit northwest of Jerusalem. And there he prayed the fire down 
that consumed the sacrifice, the altar, licked up the water in the trench. And there he had 450 prophets of Baal slain and 400 prophets of the groves. And on this mountaintop, a great victory was given to this prophet of God. Didn't make everybody happy. Jezebel said, you killed my prophets, I'm going to kill you. Just wait and see if I don't get you. So he fled out for his life, headed south, went all the way down to where he stayed overnight, and God dealt with him about his being there, and he, he fled further south, went all the way down to Beersheba, and went up into the mountain there. And God spoke to him on this mountaintop. He heard the thunder roll. He saw the fire burning. The wind blew. And great phenomena accompanied the manifestations of God's power on this mountaintop. And you know, people sometimes are frightened about manifestations. Now, the Bible said God was not in the manifestations that were happening there. It meant that simply that God was not in it as far as giving a revelation of his will to Elijah. And so while he had all these great manifestations, he still knew something was missing. The still small voice spoke to him out of all of this and said, what doest thou here, Elijah? And put him back on his way headed north again where he was sent all the way 300 miles north to where God had intended that he go rather than fleeing south. Now he goes to Syria where he anoints a new king over Syria. So he had this mountaintop experience on Horeb near Beersheba. The still small voice speaks to him. We see him now in our lesson tonight as this morning on this mountaintop with Jesus and on the mountaintop with Moses and with Peter, James, and John. And from here, he gets a new perspective. He too is allowed to witness the transfiguration of the Christ and the glory of God upon the Son of God. His countenance altered, his garments become white and glistering, and his whole life before him had never seen anything like this, although Elijah had been caught up in a whirlwind, went to heaven without death. Now he sees before his eyes a miniature example of the resurrection power, and you can imagine how thrilled he was of all the prophets of God to witness the transfiguration. God permitted Elijah to do so. Jesus, being on this mountain, also was a mountaineer. Moses the mountaineer, Elijah the mountaineer, Jesus a mountaineer. In the fourth chapter of Matthew, the first 11 verses gives us the temptation of Jesus on a mountain. The Bible says he was taken to a high mountain and there he was tempted of the devil. I believe during the entire 40 days that he withered or weathered the storm. He did not wither as he weathered the storm. (laughs) 
Some people have an idea that after the 40 days, the devil came and tempted him. But I believe that all 40 days, he was assailed by the power of hell. And he stood there in those tests, in his fasting and prayer, on this mount of temptation. He also died on a mountain. He died on Mount Calvary. In his temptation in the fourth chapter, we see that he was tempted with three great temptations which are symbolic of a broad spectrum of life experience for you and I. First of all, he was tempted to turn the stones into bread. And he said, well, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And this was more than a, a bout with Satan about physical hunger. Jesus didn't have any problems, although he had fasted for 40 days. A loaf of bread didn't bother him. He, he wasn't tempted to turn stones into bread to satisfy his appetite. All he had need to do was just pray to the Father and God would have sent an angel to feed him. Like he sent ravens to feed the prophet at the brook Cherith. And so it was not a temptation to satisfy his fleshly appetite, but rather to use these stones and the miracle power of turning stones into bread to gather a following. To bypass Calvary. Not go to Golgotha. Get your following by producing cheap miracles. Give people bread and they'll follow you. You'll get an army fast. I have a sermon on that that I preach sometime. The second temptation was when he was taken to the high pinnacle of the temple and Satan said, cast yourself down. Anytime that you do what the devil's telling you, brother, it's casting yourself down. The devil doesn't lift you up. The devil doesn't elevate your life. He doesn't know what it is to help people to become noble and to build character and to help people have self-esteem in the light of God's purpose for man. But he cast men down. And so he said to Jesus, cast yourself down. It had been a foolish thing for Jesus to do this. For he said, it's written, the devil said, it's written that he'll give his angels charge over thee and they'll bear thee up lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. The devil knows the Bible, but he misquoted this passage and misappropriated, misapplied it altogether. And Jesus said, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Some people are acting on some advice simply because they picked a promise out of a promise box and uh, they, they read that one verse and feel like that that reveals all of God's will for their life. And so they act on that. If Jesus had listened to the devil, he'd have done the same thing. And it was not God's will for him to cast himself off that pinnacle. A demonstration of supernatural power to fulfill a Jewish tradition that had said that the, when the Messiah came, he would come floating down out of heaven on a cloud. There was nothing in prophecy, nothing in the scripture to indicate that, but some traditions that the people believed, legends that said Messiah will come that way. And so this would have been another way to attract a crowd, get a following, don't go to Calvary, don't die on that cross. Jesus didn't do it. He said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Then finally, in verse 8, this is in Matthew 4, the devil took Jesus to a high mountain. It's in there. It says a high mountain where he could see the kingdoms of the world. 
And from this mountain vantage point, Jesus could see the kingdoms of the world. It was not geography. It was the kingdoms that Satan could give him a panoramic view of, that he had control of. Because you see, Satan is the god of this world, the prince and the power of the air. And he said, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. Why go to a bloody cross? Why be nailed to a cross? Why have spittle running down your face and have men mock you? Bow down and worship me and I'll give you the kingdoms that you plan to die for. And while the devil was busy showing Jesus the kingdoms of the world, Jesus' eyes looked across that mountain top to the hill called Golgotha. And he saw that place of the skull. And to him, it meant more to shed his blood on that rocky crag than it would be for Satan to lay everything on a satin pillow at his feet and say that you don't need to die. I'll give it to you. Just worship me. Just bow down and serve me and I'll give you everything you plan to die for. Jesus said, nothing doing. Nothing doing. You see, from the mountaintop where Jesus had been fasting 40 days and 40 nights, his perspective had been cleared from all of the things that fill your mind and come at you from every direction. He could sort it out. He could think it through until he cleared his mind of all the clouds and the dust and now he has a clear vision of what he must do, what his life's purpose is. And he comes down ready to do that and ready to go to Calvary. And now Satan is defeated because he's not going to get Jesus to compromise. Brother, there's a time to go to these mountaintop experiences to enlarge your vision, to clear away the debris, to empty out your heart, to get the perspective God wants you to see things from. And he said to the devil, it is written, thou shalt worship him and him only. When Jesus saw God's purpose clearly, he came down from that mountain and went back to the place that led him to Calvary. Now we see him in our story tonight on another mountaintop. This is called the Mount of Transfiguration. There's some difference of opinion about where this experience took place. When we visited the Holy Land, we were shown the place called the Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, it was Mount Tabor on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. Well, I've done a little research and most of the commentaries disagree with that because during Jesus' time, there was a village on the top of Mount Tabor. And it is believed by many that it was further to the north on Mount Hermon, that beautiful Mount Hermon at the north end of the Sea of Galilee, which was near to the place where he had been ministering just prior to this. Far more likely that it was on Mount Hermon than at Mount Tabor. You see, you're not allowed to visit Mount Hermon today because that was one of the danger zones uh, where... The PLO 
lobbed their shells into the areas and the tourists couldn't go there, so they located another tourist area on Mount Tabor for you to visit and called it the Mount of Transfiguration. But more likely, it was on Mount Hermon where he had a commanding view of all of Palestine. And Jesus took them to a high mountain. This is in Matthew 17, verse 1. They were on a high mountain. In blazing glory, he could still see the cross. While his raiment was white and glistening, his face was shining, and a bright cloud and a voice out of the skies. And Peter said, let's just build three tabernacles up here. I like it. Oh, this is marvelous. And he said, let's just stay here. Jesus could still see Calvary. And he would not be content to stay in this particular state of glory, but come down from that mountain and head back to Jerusalem where he would be arrested and tried and crucified. Now, we've talked about Moses, about Elijah, and about Jesus on that mountain. There were three natural men, Peter, James, and John, on this mountain also. They, too, saw Jesus transfigured before their eyes. They were witnesses. They saw Moses, and they saw Elijah. They saw a bright cloud of the glory of God. They heard a voice out of that cloud saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear ye him. Peter said, let's build these three tabernacles and, and I like what's going on here. In verse nine, though, you can see that Jesus never lost sight of the cross. For he said to them in this setting, tell this vision to no man until the son of man be risen again from the dead. See, he never took his eyes off the cross. From the mountaintop experience, that Jesus had won the victory over the devil in. And from this mountaintop experience of transfiguration, Jesus sees God's purpose of death on the cross. I believe today that he wants us to see God's purpose for our lives and not the cheap things that the world would have us to get involved in. The, the voice, the cloud, the glory of God never changed his outlook one bit whatsoever. It only was a momentary thing that God had a purpose in to witness to these representatives from all ages, but it could never obscure the cross. You know, I don't care what's happening in the church world today. I don't care where you go and what you hear and what you see. There is nothing more important in our worship today than the preaching of the cross. Paul said, God forbid that I'd glory in anything save in the cross of Jesus Christ. We must have the cross preached today. We must always in our worship, in our prayers, in our singing, in our preaching, elevate the cross. Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw men to me. He was lifted up physically on the cross, but in our preaching, we must continue to lift him up. We must continue to point to him as the crucified son of God who died for our sins and was resurrected from the dead and is coming back again. So he spoke of his death. He could still see God's will for his life. We need a clear view of God's purpose. The perimeter of our success the horizons that we see are so close to us because of things like a negative outlook. 
because of a poor uh, view of things from God's perspective. Circumstances obscure God's purpose for our life. We see things. We don't see the word. We see uh, happenings. We see feelings. And we sense what's real around us in this world. And we do not perceive the supernatural. We do not sense what the word of God talks about. And we stay in the lowlands. We stay in the valley. From the summit of Mount Calvary, we can see forgiveness. We can see cleansing. We can see sanctification. We can see deliverance from habits. People see stumbling blocks because they will not climb to these summits to get this perspective. And you keep looking at the habit. You keep looking at the problem rather than looking at Jesus who died on the cross to pay the price to set you free. I want us to lift our eyes. I want us to look away from this material, secular world that we live in till we see the spiritual world, till we see beyond the natural, till we see the supernatural, till we see the benefits of Calvary. From the summit of the Mount of Olivet where Jesus preached that Sermon on the Mount, one of the most magnificent pieces of literature in all the world is the Sermon on the Mount that you read in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And when you read that wonderful sermon, he's not telling you how to get wealth. He's not telling you how to succeed in business. He talks about forgiving one another. He talks about not committing adultery. He talks about and against divorce. He talks about performing vows, keeping your word. In the Sermon on the Mount, he preaches about turning the other cheek and about loving our enemies. He preaches about giving alms. He preaches on prayer. From the summit of the Mount of Olives, this masterpiece of a sermon was preached and he tells people how to fast. He preaches to them against judging one another and trying to take the moat out of somebody's eyes when they have a beam in their own eye. In verse 7 of chapter 7, he does include asking, seeking, knocking. Ask what you will and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. I want you to see where that golden nugget is situated. This promise to supply everything that we have need of and the desires of our heart. Where is it situated? Right in the midst of teaching on forgiveness and not committing adultery and on divorce and performing your vows and turning the other cheek and loving your enemies and giving alms and prayer and fasting and, and not judging one another. I tell you, friends, when we get on God's track, when we get into this groove that he has prescribed for us to... Uh, live in and circulate in, I want you to know we can expect miracles to happen. We can ask and we will receive. We can seek and we'll find. We can knock and it will be open to us. But we've got people out here running around living for the devil, living like the world, being part of the world, running into church houses, claiming a promise and confessing something and saying, I'm, I believe that a miracle's in my mouth. Well, 
it'd take a miracle to get that mouth straight, all right. I realize that. But beloved, a miracle of God will happen when you confess all these other things that Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. You're not going to bypass forgiveness, 70 times 7. You're not going to bypass not judging one another and come all the way down and eat the cream and peaches. You're not going to get the dessert without getting the full course meal. You're not going to get all the blessings of prosperity and all the blessings of gimme, gimme, gimme and get on the receiving end of, of wealth and riches and prosperity without adjusting your life to the prescribed method of life that Jesus taught from the mountaintop. I'm talking about climbing the highest mountain. I'm talking about getting the perspective that will adjust your life to the scriptural principle of living the way that Jesus lived and the way that he wants us to live. God is far more concerned with you being forgiving than he is you being wealthy. God is far more concerned with you not judging and hating and with you being the kind of person who would turn the other cheek than he is you having a thousand dollar bill in your wallet. God wants to produce character. God wants to produce real Christian, genuine character inside of us. And we're so worldly minded. Again and again from the Mount of Olives, we can see teaching flowing from this man of Galilee. The last scene that we see him on earth is on a mountaintop. And from that mountaintop, he was lifted up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And the promise was given, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing up into the heavens? The same Jesus, the same Jesus, not another one, not one like him, but the very identical Christ that you saw on that mountain when he was transfigured, the one that you stood there in Pilate's judgment hall and heard him condemned and and taken out and then to Golgotha he was crucified. The one you saw put in that tomb and the stone rolled there to seal him in. The one that you've heard now for these days since his resurrection, this same Jesus is coming back again. In like manner, as ye have seen him go, brother, nobody could hold him down. Nobody could tie him to the earth. No one could seal him in a tomb. No one could talk him into staying. He had accomplished his father's will on the cross. He said, it is finished. It is finished. And now then the work being done, he rises and he keeps rising until out of their sight he disappeared but the same one is coming back and no one's going to keep him from coming back. History cannot prevent him. World powers cannot prevent him. He's coming back again. And tonight, part of our mountaintop perspective is to catch a glimpse of the imminence of the coming of Christ. He is coming again and it could be tonight. Praise God.